Hello, you're very welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshot.net. Unsanitized. Schools are safe. Schools are safe. Schools are safe? One of the greatest thrills I have as a parent is when my six-year-old tells me a lie. The thrill for me is the journey we have getting to the truth. You know, you know, kind of asking him questions about the missing biscuit, for example, and challenging myself to see if I can get him to admit that the missing biscuit that I was really looking forward to eating is now in his belly. And the conversation usually goes along the lines of, well, what happened? He says, I, I don't know. But the biscuit was here a few minutes ago. You, you didn't see it, did you? No. Really? No. Maybe I ate it. You know, what, what, what do you think? Hmm, yeah, maybe he might say. But no, I'd reply, I definitely didn't eat it. Th there'd be crumbs on my mouth. As he quickly wipes his mouth with the crumbs on his mouth. Oh, why are you wiping your mouth, I might say. I didn't. Oh, I saw you wiping. Now, anyway, you get the picture. If only he just kept going and kept saying, I know I, I didn't eat the biscuit because, you know, by this stage he's rumbled. And just, even though he was rumbled, just kept repeating that same sentence of, no, I didn't. No, 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 I didn't do anything. Eventually, I just get sick of it and I probably leave him alone. After all, it's only a biscuit. However, when it comes to the government's position on schools, they could give my six-year-old a few lessons. All you have to do is keep repeating the same thing over and over again, even when it's crystal clear that what you're saying is simply untrue. However, this isn't actually about eating the last biscuit. This is far more serious. And with one in 50 Irish people contracting COVID-19 in the last two weeks alone, the tracing service unable to cope with demand and hospitals becoming overwhelmed with COVID-19 cases, we need to seriously look at the facts about whether schools are safe right now and make decisions that have impacts well beyond the classroom. Hello, you're welcome to this special episode of If I Were the Minister for Education called Unsanitized. Uh, my name is Simon Lewis. Um, as I've just said, my son has a bit of a sweet tooth and if there's a biscuit or a bit of chocolate hanging around, I can be sure that it will be eaten by him. For example, for Christmas this year, he bought me a lovely present. It was a box of personalised chocolates and the chocolates had a little picture of him and my wife embossed on each chocolate. Now, I'm sure some of you have seen these before. Um, and then there were 24 of these chocolates in the box. Guess how many of them I ate? I ate about four of them, I'd say. And guess how many he ate? Now, guess now how many he admitted to eating. And now guess how I felt when I opened that box one evening to enjoy one of said chocolates and there were none left. And it's the same with biscuits on the rare occasion we have them in the house. Anyway, forget that. <laughs> I just wanted to talk to you about my chocolates. Ireland currently is the worst performing country in the world in terms of controlling COVID-19. Over Christmas, the government thought it would be a good idea to relax the rules about restrictions and let's be honest, 
much of the country behaved as if it were the hazy days long, long, long ago, back in 2019. And within a couple of weeks, we went from being the best behaved boys and girls in the class to being top of the naughty list. A minority of people decided to behave recklessly and the outcome was that the virus had the best Christmas party they've ever, ever had. By the 29th of December, we were heading for 2,000 cases a day. <sighs> However, all the while, the government assured everyone, schools will be open though as normal, no problem at all, 6th of January, you'll all be back. Because, because schools are safe. Mm-hmm, schools are safe. However, by the 30th of December, as we announced over 3,000 cases in one day, the government said the following. Um, uh, uh, the Christmas school break will be extended for three additional days to the 11th of January. Um, this will allow every member of the school community to follow public health advice closely and minimise their contacts before children return to schools, which are safe. Uh, now, I don't know if they bit the which are safe, I, I, I added that bit, but they still declared schools are safe. And if you ask Josepha Madigan about uh, the schools being closed because it wasn't safe, no, 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 the schools weren't closed, they were just on an extended holiday, said she, uh, which I feel I need to repeat. Um, I've already done an episode of why that statement was meaningless, and as we know by now, it was, because we didn't go back to school on the 11th. But somehow, despite all the evidence that the country was surging to unprecedented levels of positive cases of COVID-19, the government stuck to their guns to announce that schools would definitely reopen on the 11th of January, saying that schools are safe. And as we journeyed to well over 8,000 cases on a single day, and it was many, many more uh, because by then the contact tracing system had broken down and they were only testing people with symptoms, Norma Foley and the gang continued to say that schools are safe when nobody in the entire country believed it was true. So what were they to do? Surely by the first week in January, that given the latest rise in cases around the country with 1% of the country infected with COVID-19 back then, I can't believe like that's only a week ago and, and it's higher now. It was okay to admit that it would be impossible to open schools because logically they couldn't be safe places. I mean, it would have been okay in the first week of January. And to be honest, we all would have said, do you know what, that's fair. You know, fair enough. You thought on the 29th of December things were okay, but fair enough. Look, clearly cases have risen so badly that we'd let you away, you know, with, with, with that. It was a faux pas, you know, fair enough. Anyway, going back to my investigation, because I'm, I'm thinking about this now into my missing biscuit for a second. Let's say when my son wiped his mouth back, you know, when I was telling him, like, saw the crumbs there. And instead of owning up, which he would have done, he decided to say that the crumbs I actually saw in his mouth were not of the missing biscuit at all. Um, no, let's say they were, um, I don't know, let's say a cream cracker he'd found in the cupboard instead. And that he would never have eaten the biscuit. And what he would have been doing really by doing that was he's making the lie worse because he's adding an extra layer of detail the cream cracker the mysterious cream cracker N look sorry i really wanted that biscuit anyway back to phenophile so rather than saying that schools were obviously not safe due to the rising numbers they decided to say schools are indeed still safe and here's the extra bit now it's actually the movement in the wider community to school that's the problem because there are a million people moving to get to school but once they're in there 
they become magically immune to COVID-19. You know, it's not safe for them to travel to the school. Oh, no, 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 fair enough. But once they're in there, no hassle. Now, they didn't say the last bit of that to be magically immune. I, I said it's magically immune. But effectively, they actually believe that once someone is in a school building, they won't be at risk of catching COVID-19. And there's been many of these satirical uh, magazines, the Waterford Whispers and the likes, who basically are, you know, making fun of that by saying people are breaking into schools because they're so safe um, and security measures are going to be put in place in schools and so on. But much like my very pointless biscuit story, which some might argue is a total waste of time for this episode, uh, as I keep interjecting into it, the minister and her colleagues wasted time and days of time claiming that schools were going to fully reopen on the 11th of January, even though everyone knew it wasn't going to happen and everyone knew it wasn't safe. It must have become extremely clear because someone must have told them that they would be absolutely crazy to open schools on the 11th. Um, because even they knew by then. They must have known as well. But what could they do? They, they'd gone so far to saying schools are safe. What were they going to do? How could they move from a situation where they said that schools are completely safe to then saying they just weren't going to open them? Back to this biscuit. I just can't stop thinking about it. I really, God, I really wanted that biscuit. I meant to tell you that I reminded my son that we didn't actually have any cream crackers in the house. So the crumbs couldn't have been cream cracker crumbs and you know what he did well he told me it must have been his mammy that ate the biscuits now this information was interesting to me because even though i knew he was lying he was practicing a very good tactic and what he was doing he was trying to turn me against his mother mm. anyway where was i sophina foyle were in a quandary how were they going to step back from opening schools okay they had this story about one million people traveling to schools being the actual issue rather than the one million people when they were in the schools or whatever number of people were in the schools. So they decided they would promise highly emotive groups that they would go to school, okay? So what they did was they picked children with additional needs and leaving cert students. Now it's patently clear that this was never going to happen, but it was a brilliant maneuver in my opinion. In one fell swoop, they knew the unions would have to go nuts and put a stop to it. And then parents and the various agencies representing children with additional needs, as well as those uh, with children doing their Leaving Cert, as well as Leaving Cert students themselves, would turn on the schools. And it was a sight to behold. The usual ba teacher bashing ensued with us being accused of not caring about children with additional needs, that we should all be put in the pup, and we should be all ashamed of ourselves. And brilliantly, the very same people that were laughing at Norma Foley's repetition that schools were safe the previous week were now joining the chorus that schools were safe. My biscuit story can't even stretch to the levels of effectiveness the government went to here. Norma Foley and Josepha Madigan went on the offensive saying how hard they worked to get schools open for the most vulnerable children in the country. It was like my son saying he tried so hard to stop his mammy from eating that biscuit because he knew that I really wanted it. But, I mean, they, they I mean, I, I, I can't, sorry, the analogy just doesn't stick here. But just to quote one of the, the ministers, this is a tweet, heartbreaking, listening to the stories of families of students with special educational needs today. Remote learning does not work for any stu every student. We need to redouble our efforts to move forward with an alternative. Do you like, I'm not very good at impressions. It was amazing. 
not only had this government provided almost nothing in terms of a plan, if schools were not safe enough to open fully, they decided the best course of action was to start passive aggressive attacks on schools. And at the time I said schools had kept their part of the deal and had been trying to ram down the doors to get plans in place for our most vulnerable students and should the country go into another surge. Months we were, doing, we were asking for this. And the government, and let's not leave out the stakeholders here or the partners or whatever they're calling themselves these days, they did nothing either. They sat there letting this all happen. They did absolutely nothing. And again, there is not a biscuit analogy in the world that can explain how little they did. There wasn't a biscuit to be stolen. And yet, they continued a shameful attack on teachers and schools. Norma Foley sent an email to school principals demanding that we would send a letter to parents from her where she claimed some of the following. I'm going to summarise some of it. Here we are. Enfet is of the view that schools remain safe environments. The decision to close schools was taken in order to minimise mobility of the entire population and support the suppression of the COVID-19 virus in the community. And apart from the fact that she's speaking about old Enfet numbers, she is basically saying that schools are safe and it's only the owl travelling to them and from them. That's the problem. I mean, it's not... I mean, it, 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 how can people actually believe this? Later, she says, in the letter, schools have been provided with the funding as part of the digital strategy for schools. In 2020, funding totaling 100 million in 2020 was provided to schools and schools have been advised to prioritise supporting the purchase of devices for students who may uh, have access to devices for remote learning. This implies that schools were given a fortune, 100 million. That wasn't 100 million, that was 50 mi uh, million for 2020, 50 million for 2021, money we already get to, uh, to basically, and it's not even enough, to basically keep our cr uh, you know, creaky system, uh, ICT structures going. And the money we actually, actually put aside, I'll tell you exactly how much money I got to support 400 pupils. I got 600 euro. 600 euro. The number of parents who've been on social media crying schools for not spending the 100 million on devices was astonishing. We got about 600 euro in primary schools for a 400 pupil school. That's the truth. She continued anyway, the school support services that are funded by the department have developed a suite of materials to assist teachers in using an online platform to support teaching, learning and assessment. That's just not true. It's like, I don't even know what to say except it's just not true. They didn't. Then there is a range of supports available to schools from the National Council for Special Education, NCSE. And just for the record, the range of supports that they have given us is now a phone number teachers can ring to get advice. And they're apparently going to make a few videos. That's the range of supports available from the NCSE. She continues, the inspectorate of the department will continue to offer an advisory service to schools to support the delivery of remote learning. My accent is getting more Kerry-like as I go on. But school inspectors have no training or expertise in this area. I have no idea what inspectors are doing right now. I don't think they have any idea what they're doing right now. And there's no um, insult to them. They're brilliant in education. They have no idea how to deal with the, pand the pandemic. And anecdotal evidence suggests that many school inspectors are actually giving extremely poor advice. I mean, really poor advice. And then she goes on. I mean, you'd think the letter would finish. She drops the bombshell. 
The department is conscious that closing schools has hugely adverse consequences at individual, family and societal level. For children, it impacts on well-being, learning and social and emotional development. School closure has significant impacts on children with special educational needs. School closure also heightens student anxiety, particularly for the Leaving Cert cohort in relation to state exams. The government decision included provision that in-person learning would be maintained for two specific cohorts from Monday the 11th, and she goes on about the Leaving Certs and the children with additional needs. But unfortunately, it wasn't proved possible to get agreement um, for these two groups. In these circumstances, there is no alternative but to pause the limited reopening and continue engagement with partners. I will keep parents of these students updated of this engagement. This latest public health advice received by the government is available here, and just for the record, here linked to uh, the last available information that was based on figures uh, from NFET on the 30th December when figures were still less than a thousand cases per day and hospitals were not close to full and testing of close contacts was still happening. And this, um, and, and, and they are the figures she was going on. It clearly outlines that schools are safe environments and that the protective measures and the considerable supports put in place to schools have been successful. To me, these last few paragraphs, I can't say them anymore, were a giant punch in the face, a kick in the teeth and all the various cliches to all the people who have been tirelessly working since March when school buildings first had to close down. School leaders and teachers spent their annual leave doing everything they could to make their buildings as safe as possible for the then levels of transmission. And there were cases in schools, far more than that were being accepted or reported by the government. Schools had the fifth highest prevalence of COVID-19, higher than hospitals even. And these were times when the number of cases in the country were less than 100 per day. We kept going even when cases started increasing to more worrying figures and bigger outbreaks began appearing in December with at least four schools closing before Christmas and some others that should have closed but didn't get permission and obviously the most notable of these was in Clare Morris. And by the end of term there were hundreds of families who missed their planned Christmas day because they became a close contact in their primary school. And the Christmas holidays couldn't have come at a better time because there was absolutely no doubt that multiple schools were going to have to close down due to outbreaks of COVID-19 and things were going completely out of control. The only way this realistically could have happened is if we got the numbers down. However, numbers are now even worse than they were at the end of December. To me, the letter was the equivalent and I'm going to change my metaphor uh, from, from the biscuits. To, it reminded me, uh, I always go off on, f uh, on um, football analogies. I don't know if anyone remember Hull City, the football team. They were in the Premier League for a while. And when they were in big trouble, their manager, Phil Brown, um, basically, famously, uh, at halftime, uh, put them uh, sitting around the uh, c centre circle of the pitch and publicly gave out to the team at halftime. A week later, he was unsurprisingly out of a job. However, this isn't going to happen to anyone in the Department of Education. In fact, even when Josefa Madigan decided to call children who don't have additional needs normal, and I say that in inverted commas, inferring that children with additional needs are not normal in the Doyle, she hasn't even been asked to apologise by her manager, the Taoiseach. It is possibly the worst thing a minister for special education could do. And 24 hours, actually it's 48 hours now I'm recording this after doing it, the, she has still not apologised um, on the record. She made a half apology on Twitter in, in response to Andy Pike, who, uh, who called her out on it. I have absolutely no confidence that anyone will hold the Department of Education to account anymore. They have clearly bought the lie that schools are safe. 
despite all the evidence, they state that schools are safe, even though it is impossible, it is impossible, even in the wildest imaginations, to think they can be. Last night I watched, uh, sorry, two nights ago now, I watched a primetime, um, I rarely watch TV, but I, I heard that uh, John Boyle was going to be on uh, talking about this. Um, and it, it, But I watched the whole episode because uh, it was in three segments. And it summed up everything for me, to be honest with you, about the situation. It's like uh, people will say stuff and they don't link the things together. So the show was in three segments. The first was about ro remote learning, which was a total car crash uh, in itself. But forget forget how bad that was. I, I'll talk about that another time. It segued itself into an interview with John Boyle, who was being harangued about why schools weren't reopening and why was he stopping it from happening. Now, I'll admit, he did a lousy job. But the point was, he should have said that the reason he couldn't accept teachers going into the workplace was because the virus was rampant, especially with this new variant, which is more transmissible in children. But he didn't, okay? So anyway, that was the thing you know, that he, he, he could have ended it with, the reason why we're not, we, we don't want, we can't have our, our teachers in schools is because it's not safe, because of what's about to come. Anyway, the next piece then started, which was segment two, which just happened to be about this B117 variant, which is likely to see another massive surge in the next two weeks, with predictions that we will have daily cases of around a minimum of 1,000 cases per day to a possible 10,000 cases per day if it gets into the, into the community or into schools or whatever. And the expert on this was asked about schools reopening. And he listed the things. He said, look, you know, schools should be the first thing they're open and the last thing they're closed. I mean, I heard that and that's fair enough. But he listed the things that need to be in place in schools. He's based in America, Harvard. So he said, you know, simple things he called them. You know, like good ventilation, everyone wearing masks. Yeah, all the things Irish schools don't actually have in place. <sighs> so what could segment three be of the, <laughs> the programme be? Well, to my horror, it was about how overwhelmed the hospital system is, with many of them actually having almost no beds free. They are in crisis, and they've wanted that, uh, and they basically have warned that people are going to die because there simply aren't enough places in the ICU wards or in the normal wards. I actually had to switch off because I, I was hoping there wasn't going to be a fourth segment about funerals, or like trying to know the best funeral options for school staff or something. It's nonsensical to think that opening schools in the midst of a hospital crisis is a good idea. I'm actually not worried about myself here. I mean, I, I, I mean a lot of people might say, oh, you're only saying that, Simon, because you, don't, you, you just don't want to catch it. You know, I ha I've already caught it. I've, I've got COVID. I, right now, I have COVID-19. So I'm, I'm immune right now, apparently. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried for any other person that walks into my school building. If just one of them happens to have COVID-19 and possibly the variant of B117, they will infect another family. And this was happening just before the holidays, as we know, not in my school particularly, well, I don't know, but it certainly was happening in lots of schools. And children, as we know, don't seem to exhibit symptoms, making them even more dangerous in terms of transition, transmission. We already know that the new variant is at least 33% more transmissible, and before I'm accused of hysteria, I don't think many of my staff are at risk of dying from COVID-19. However, they might pass it on to someone who will, and it might be the family of a child that they're caring for or teaching. People seem to forget this. Human beings right now can potentially kill each other simply by spending time together. It doesn't matter whether there's 30 people in a room or six. 
if we don't put proper measures in place to make schools as safe as possible for everyone. Now there's a lot of talk of vaccinations. And we currently know that vaccinations are uh, limited insofar as they will stop you getting sick. But there's no evidence out there to suggest they stop you transmitting the virus. So even if all teachers and SNAs get the vaccination tomorrow, it doesn't mean they won't transmit the virus to the children who might bring it back home to their families and kill their families. However, they certainly seem to be part of the solution. And even for reassurance and an absolute signal that education is seen as an important frontline service, it certainly would seem to make sense to have this happen as quickly as possible. However, immediately providing schools with medical grade PPE seems to be a bare minimum. We don't have that. We need the full shebang. There is no way a child with additional needs can social, socially distance and many need therapies that do require physical contact. We, at a bare minimum, need medical grade PPE provided to us and have the funding to do so. That, you surprisingly, does not exist, would you believe? And this leads me to the next point. Anyone working in OT or SLT should also be expected to come to schools this week if we're supposedly safe. It's funny how occupational therapists, speech and language therapists, dietitians, and all these various people are not meeting children face to face. Because, you know, if it's safe enough for us to be there, it surely is safe enough for them to be there. And obviously with the same protections that we need. It is astounding, for example, even, that some of the groups that are advocating for children with additional needs have suspended all of their face-to-face -face services with children months ago. And in effect, they are saying they are very, very happy for, to accept the risk of people becoming ill as long as it isn't one of them. Which leads me to f another point. Josepha Madigan, Norma Foley and all the various ministers from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael need to be in attendance at school on the days that they open. And they need to spend a good hour in the day in the classrooms with the children, with the teachers that they have sent bas that they basically sent us all into. They need to sit beside the children and work with the children and show leadership that they expect their minions to uphold. The people who are negotiating on our behalf as well also need to be in the classrooms doing the same thing. If they say things are safe, they should be in there with us. And I'm not saying they should be put to work, I'm just saying they should be in there showing the confidence they have in the assertion that everything is safe. An army going into battle without their leaders is a fight. <laughs> like an army going into battle without their, their leaders in a fight is an army that can't have any confidence in its leaders. I mean, I was really racking my brains to think of a good quote to sum this up. And as usual, the children's film comes to the rescue. Shrek, when Lord, F I can't pronounce his name, I think it's Farquaad, uh, Lord Farquaad speaks to his people as they're about to go into a pointless battle. And he says, some of you may die, but it is a sacrifice I am willing to make. I, I stopped writing this half of the episode I'm, you, you, uh, I, I'm not pausing here, but I, I, I'm going to carry on. I stopped writing, you know, at six o'clock last night because at that point, the plan for reopening schools to children with additional needs had not been released. Um, so anything I've said before now was not with the knowledge that I have now. And as always, the news coming from the, was coming from the media rather than from the department. And basically, all I knew yesterday was there was rumours that all special schools would open on alternate days and all pupils with additional needs in mainstream classes would be coming to school every day. And it seemed a little far-fetched, uh, to be honest, so we all waited and waited. And just before 8pm, the tweet was released by the INTO. A tweet was, uh, sorry, yeah, I'm laughing. I use Twitter. I think it's perfectly acceptable that a tweet was the, the manner that the INTO produced. But I'm just going to read it um, because it's, you know, twi Twitter is quite short. Um, 
and um, this is what they said. The Department of Education has this evening written to schools to outline plans for provision from next Thursday. INTO has appealed to the department to issue this guidance earlier today and we are disappointed that it is issued so late in a Friday evening. A copy of the letter is available at INTO.ie. See the link at the end of the thread. Further information and facts will be available from Monday, so we won't know anything till Monday. Public health experts who support the school sector and Deputy CMO Dr. Colette Bonner, HSE Assistant National Director for Public Health Dr. Kevin Kelleher and Public Health Consultant Dr. Abigail Collins will host a webinar for special education staff on Monday afternoon. We hope this will provide reassurance to members that all necessary steps are being taken to ensure the safety of all involved in this interim support program for children with complex educational needs. Webinar will cover safety of school return in the uh, current phase of pandemic, safety of special ed provision in COVID-19 context, principle of, uh, principles of public health approach, public health risk assessment in schools, enhanced school teams, close contacts and tests and trace, communication with parents and school community. An invitation to the webinar has been issued to all relevant schools, high-level meetings regarding the prioritization of special school education, of special education staff for the vaccination program are also taking place, high-level meetings, so they're not happening by the way. While supporting the continued learning remotely is as far from ideal, we hope to be able to return to our classrooms fully, but it remains to be seen if the public health landscape improves enough to enable the resumption of classroom-based learning. We echo the comments from the CMO that now is the time for us to do our part to help lower transmission rates and that's where it ends and the link uh, goes on from there now the guidance that was left um is 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 the same as what it says in, on the tweet um and it says that there's a copy of the uh, letter that uh they were sending to everyone now i it's a long letter um it's seven pages long um but i do think it's important um that i summarize it in some way um, there's uh, several parts to it and it's from the department of education Okay, and it's addressed to the school principal, so many of you might not have got this, or will definitely not have gotten this, because as well, it was sent after eight o'clock that night. Um, uh, so basically the INTO are doing the job of the Department of Education by passing on their communications uh, to their members, which is very weird. Um, anyway, uh, that aside, it basically says, dear, I'm writing to you further about the, 40, uh, uh, about the reopening of school. The purpose of the letter is to set out the further details of the framework um, and it waffles on a little bit. Um, and it talks about, you know, two meters, uh, where is it? In preparing for the full return, schools are asked to ensure risk mitigation. Like, how can we ensure risk mitigation in the middle of a crisis? Um, anyway, um, and we should provide medical grade uh, masks to all SNAs. Provide us with the money, we will provide the medical grade uh, masks. They have not provided enough money for this to happen, and we know this, and they still haven't provided to us. So what pupils are returning? Pupils in special uh, schools will attend on al alternate days. The media got it right. Pupils in special education in mainstream primary schools will attend every day. They got that right. But then, pupils with significant additional needs in mainstream classes in primary schools will also have access to in-school teaching and learning. The framework was facilitated in section 7 to 11 below. So, we've increased the number of people that were due to go in on the 11th of January now to more people than we should have had. So who's going to be operating, how will operating, how will reopening operate in special schools? They'll all open, everyone will be expected to work basically and it's going to be alternative days. Um, transport is going to be fine. Uh, I'm not even going to read what they're going to say, but it's going to be fine. How will reopening operate in special classes in mainstream primary schools? All special, same as almost. Basically they're saying it'll, it'll all be as normal. Norm, nothing to see here, it'll all be fine. And substitutes 
the weird thing is they're expecting for substitutes um, for teachers and SNAs and that to come from people who will be remote teaching or remote learning. So they're basically saying, you know, if someone's sick um, uh, from COVID-19, someone from the mainstream, you go in, it'll be grand. Uh, transport for, uh, for mainstream class, be fine. It'll be fine again, that's section six. See, I'm summarizing this very well. How will opening, uh, number seven is how will reopening operate for pupils with significant needs? So basically what they've done is they've thrown schools under the bus and said, you know, figure it out yourselves, lads. Now they haven't really. They've given one bit of advice. If you are on the school support plus in the schools, you are prioritized. That's it. After that, if you feel you have capacity, go for it. That's kind of what they're saying. They haven't given any further guidance on it. So basically, if you have the capacity schools, you can figure it out for yourselves. You can bring them all in, sure. You'd be grand. Um, transport, again, nothing to see here. Uh, number nine, teaching and learning for mainstream pupils. They're basically saying that they shouldn't be providing a curricular program, full curricular program for children attending. So effectively what they're saying is, you know, just babysit the chaps. That, that's kind of what they're saying here. Um, you should be providing kind of like additional supports to the children. Um, you, and you, you decide how to group them. Like they've given so little clarity. Oh God, it's such a mess. But, um, you know, basically you, you figure it out for yourselves you know go for it number 10 is how will schools identify pupils with significant additional needs in mainstream classes be prioritized and basically what they say is school school support plus um is where you go with so i mean okay fair enough most i hope schools have done that uh, we have we're, we're okay with that and then after that it's like figure it out yourselves you might choose people from um, families who might be vulnerable you might choose whoever you know you decide which you know in some ways is okay but we don't have any guidance um, and surprisingly in the letter they say guidance is available to schools how to identify it so I'm going to click the link on guidance um, and it is a link to a um, to basically oh it's a terrible link it's a, it's a 56 page document about identifying children with additional needs uh, and prioritizing them and effectively it runs through the school support plus and school support and classroom support plans basically through NEPS it's not uh, giving any guidance really um, it's just terrible um but anyway uh, i don't expect anything good to come from this so that's point 10 uh, basically it's up to schools to decide who comes in then they say can in school teaching happen for any other pupils outside of the uh, of the school supplies yeah figure it out for yourself so 12 when is where it's not possible to provide in school teaching and learning for all pupils with significant additional needs what supports can schools provide well they basically don't say um yeah they give two links which aren't very useful um it's about remote learning you give them remote learning that's what you do so that's it and then they say um they're going to have a frequently asked question early next week just a few minutes before schools open or something like that so basically we are getting that's all we have we've almost no notice um We've three days basically to do this. We've only got about 10% of the information we need to do it properly. So effectively on Monday, schools are going to have to try and figure it out for themselves. They're going to come up with the ideas. Maybe the Department of Education will come up with something on Tuesday or Wednesday, which will contradict their plan. So they'll have to start all over again. This is going to be a mess. And all I'm getting from the INTO is there a main objection is that this was released late on a Friday evening instead of early on a Friday and 
to be honest with you, that isn't even true, as far as I know. Because reports I've heard from people I, I, I've spoken to that have talked to the INTO about this is that the people in the head office are fine with circulars being released on a Friday night. Because, and to quote a few people that have come to me, so that they can mull over them at the weekend. I wonder how many of you in your jobs um, uh, get get uh, get, uh, get 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 your weekends taken up by uh, by by work uh, um, all the time. You know, maybe some of you do in very high level positions where you are paid six figure salaries. But most people working in schools don't uh, do get to have a little bit of time off. I've also received a number of communications from CEC reps um, who are absolutely enraged that this is happening. Um, and depending on who you believe, they're going to be having an emergency meeting about this to try and talk some sense into their leadership. Now, I don't know if any of this is true, but I'm pretty sure it is. And the reaction from teachers has been unanimous. I, they are outraged about this. This is madness. And for those of you listening um, who are wondering why we think I think this is madness and teachers are outraged, I feel it's important to explain my own feelings on the matter. Because it comes down to the title of this episode schools are safe because we have to look at this sentence very carefully many people will claim it's an outrageous lie that's becoming less funny as the days go by however many people will also claim that it's actually true sure schools are safe who's you know the statistics are available from infants suggest schools are safe people will say how many teachers or SNAs have died from COVID-19 zero and the thing is we don't have a definition of safe when it comes to opening schools. It's just someone's opinion. And Norma Foley could be telling the truth if the truth is based on the statistics from NFET and ignoring the fact that the R number is so high right now and that there's so many cases right now. And the trouble is we don't actually have a definition of what is considered safe enough to open schools and at what levels. And not having any agreed logical definition means that the Department of Education can simply trot out any sentence which is schools are safe, using whatever variables they decide to use. And right now, given that we have no definition, one could argue that it is equally acceptable to say schools are safe as it is to say schools are not safe. And it isn't black and it, but this, it isn't a black and white situation. We're constantly being reminded that Ireland is the only country right now where its schools are completely closed, especially those with additional needs. And like that, that sentence isn't true. But people are saying things that aren't true. And it's just there now. Like, and apart from the fact, I mean, like it isn't actually tr untrue because I, t I checked. The fact is, there's a huge amount of misinformation around. And the reason for this is because despite having months to come up with a definition or even a spectrum of definitions for the safety of schools, one doesn't exist. And schools need defined <laughs> definitions. It's a terrible thing to <laughs> Definitions of what actually means safe. What does it mean? There is absolutely no doubt that partially opening schools is a very, very good thing. And it has to, but it has to be balanced out with the risk of the virus spreading into the community and thus adding to the overcrowding of hospitals and thus potentially killing somebody. So a definition of how safe schools are has to include a number of variables, including how many beds are available in hospitals. Nobody is under any doubt whatsoever that the minute you leave your house, there is a risk of contracting COVID-19. But how do we reduce the risk? And what is an acceptable formula to ascertain that? Now, before you think I'm going to come up with the solution, um, there isn't a way I'm going to be able to do an ex um, the absolute solution, but I am going to put out there 
um, you know, an idea. I'm not going to be so I'm not going to decide the level of risk that's acceptable either. However, what I'm going to do is attempt to find the variables that could be placed into a formula for deciding what is the definition that schools are safe enough. And the idea of the formula is that it would give a percentage risk. So for example, once we plug in all the variables, the answer would be a number between zero, which is no risk, to one, absolute certainty of catching COVID. So let's say the government decide that this figure should be 0 0.01, 1%. So it's statistically one out of 100 people in a school would catch COVID-19. Is that risk worth taking? Now, as I said, that's not my call, but I think simply throwing a load of people into a building without any variables or any thought is much more risky. And at least if they said 1% is a, a risk we are willing to take, then we might have to just suck that up. And the variables also there have to be reliable. None of this nonsense about a case being a community or a school-based one and then thinking, oh, it was probably a community one, not a school-based If there's a doubt, stick it down as a school case, okay? So let's look at the variables. So let's, most importantly to me, is the state of play in the, in the country, in the community. What's the current R number? We also need a variable around the number of cases over the last 14 days, and, that vari and, and that's variable number two. So we have our two variables. We also need a variable of how many ICU beds are available in the country. To me, that's extremely important because schools do not want to be places where we put pressure on this. So we need to make sure that there's a variable about that. So now let's look at the variables in schools themselves. And there's a few variables here too. Classroom size and combining this with the number of people per room. This will give a variable of people per square meter. And we already know most people aren't wearing masks, so this isn't even a variable to consider. So we need to look at ventilation, as this appears to be one of the variables that is key. And given we're in the middle of winter, we need to find some sort of a rating there for ventilation, so a ventilation variable. And this is actually quite complicated because we need classroom temperatures to be reasonably comfortable, but we also need them to be ventilated. So is there an option to add a new variable to the mix? The amount of time spent in a classroom. Is it possible to have children in for less time in a day to lower the risk? It's just something to, it's some, another variable to add to the mix. Because we could have that as a constant, let's say six for six hours. But if we lower that to a variable amount, we might lower the risk. We then need to look at the variable of ability of pupils to socially distance. Now, to be perfectly honest, while there's a lot of focus on pupils with additional needs, most primary school pupils can't and don't socially distance. So I'm actually not sure if we do need this variable um, really after all. And maybe the ver that's not something to simplify things. Look, you know, I think there's probably other variables, but even these would be a very good start. They surely could produce a number between zero and one, and at least we would know what the story was. We could even stagger who comes to school based on these numbers. I mean, to me, it would take all the politics out of this because this has become political. The only reason I think we're really opening in any way, shape or form next Thursday is because politically, if they, decide, if they admitted that schools are not safe, which they obviously aren't, it would be political suicide. It's quite clear that the decision has been made to turn a very vocal and very desperate group of people against schools and it's been extremely successful. It is interesting to me that children from disadvantaged backgrounds have had no voice whatsoever here. It's been children, uh, it's been representatives of, of children with additional needs who are very vocal and rightly so, they have to fight for everything they can. But what the government have done very successfully is they've turned them against schools rather than, uh, rather than doing the right thing. And the Department of Education, as we know, are not stupid. This was very clever. They also know the INTO are weak right now. 
they are a very weak union right now and they have been for at least a decade however if we have a formula that is absolutely cold and cares as much about politics as a virus cares about where it spreads itself i think we have something that might be useful right now as i'm recording this podcast anything could happen forces have claimed they haven't agreed to anything yet and they'll be meeting on tuesday and they may put a complete stop to the whole thing the INTOC reps, as I've said, seem to be having a meeting on Monday, and perhaps they'll somehow twist the head honcho's head somehow, I don't know. The IPPN have promised, oh my god, a resource bundle on Monday. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't laugh, but in some ways, I mean, that really sums up the IPPN these days, doesn't it? It's actually a sorry state of affairs. I mean, sometimes I, I, I wonder if I've made the right decision leaving the board so quickly, and when I see this... I realise I made exactly the right choice. Look, maybe one day things will go back to the way they were when they actually had some sort of influence and weren't just, I don't know, I don't know, it's pitiful. Anyway, the weekend leaves us in a limbo. No one is going to be doing anything. And because of all this uncertainty, many schools have agreed to do nothing until Monday. And in some ways, the ludicrous idea of opening with three working days notice and absolutely no improvements or resources or anything probably makes school leaders sceptical that it's probably going to happen in the first place and there, yet, there may yet be another embarrassing U-turn. Would the government survive that? From where I'm sitting, I think the die is cast and we will be back on Thursday or maybe Monday at a compromise, Monday week at best. I don't believe we're going to have any further resources or further reassurances really and I think that what will happen in schools is we'll end up having to make things up for ourselves and all the problems that will come with doing that. And the sad thing really is that IPPN resource bundle might be the best thing we actually get from this. Ultimately, as I've said again and again, we want to be back at school doing face-to-face -face teaching. Remote learning is not fun it is not effective we know we would prefer to be in the school however we need to have some guarantee that it's actually safe to do that right now it isn't safe i don't care if norma foley says schools are safe i don't care if john boyle basically avoids saying schools are safe but basically is implying it numbers need to go down it is possible one extra week might actually make the difference even though that's unlikely however that extra week could be used to formulate that formula to give a good measure of exactly how safe schools actually are and the level of risk we're willing to take and simply repeating schools are safe schools are safe schools are safe over and over and over again does not cut it and in reality it has already been proven to be a lie and that's why at this time of recording none of us have actually been working face to face the truth is, if it was really safe and schools were safe, we would have been in those buildings last week and there wouldn't be any talk of only throwing in a small percentage, as they say, of children into the schools. If schools were safe, we would have been back at school, transport would have been back to normal, and all of a sudden, um, you know, it would have been, you know, we would have, if, if schools are safe, that's what would have happened. Do you know? Now they're all worried about school transport. They're all worried about all this sort of stuff that's going on about. Like, all of this could have easily been resolved, you know, months ago. Now, eagle-eared listeners, if eagles have ears, I'm not sure if they do, uh, will have noticed by now my biscuit story has not been brought up for a while. However, sometimes when a story becomes so far-fetched, there's just no way to possibly continue it. You just hope the truth is going to come out after a while. And in my son's case, 
he might confess up a few days later when the guilt builds up and it gets to him. However, in the case of schools reopening, it may be a lot more tragic than that. And if one school staff member dies from COVID-19 due to these measures, the crumbs will be all over the minister's faces. And yeah, that would really take the biscuit. So that's it for me. Um, I, I always say I hope you enjoyed this episode, but there's nothing to enjoy about this episode. And in fact, most of the episodes I'm, I'm doing, I don't even know why I say I hope you enjoyed that ep- this episode. Um, look, there are my thoughts um, of a weekend. I think what's happening here is is really dangerous. Um, I think a bit of time, uh, my, even my dog agrees. He's barking away. Um, yeah, I just think we need time. Time to plan properly. Three days is ridiculous. It's a seed of a plan right now. Let's make sure uh, that we get the seed of a plan into something actually a bit better. Give it a bit of time. Another week would do that. Would would actually do the a bit of a bit of good. It may not be safe after a week, but it's a week that where we can plan these things out, put them through the ringer. Um. Anyway, look. I'll be continuing on with this podcast as I go on. If you've enjoyed it, um, or if you if you even would like to hear more of it, you can search for "If I Were the Minister for Education" or Anshaw's podcast on any podcasting app you like. Whether that's Spotify, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the rest of them, I'd really appreciate you subscribing to this podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release. Anyway, feel free to review this podcast too, so others can find it more easily. Listen, I'll leave it there in case I go over the hour. I don't want to do that. We're coming up to fifty minutes. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you again. All the best. Bye-bye.